Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Brian. It's great to be with you today as we start Holy Week, Palm Sunday today, Good Friday on Friday, Easter next week. It's, uh, it's the Super Bowl for our churches all around the country. We love, we love this time of year. And I want to tell you just before we get into the message today, a few things about it. First of all, Easter egg hunt. If you've got little ones, Saturday, April 16th at 11 a.m. And here's the main thing, invite your neighbors. If you don't have kids anymore at home, invite your neighbors. Grab a bunch of these little invite cards on your way out today, and you'll notice they're two-sided. And one side gives information about the Easter egg hunt. So use that to invite your neighbors. I'm gonna grab some for my neighbors. And then on the other side uh, is is the announcement for Easter itself, Easter services. By the way, thank you to all the people who brought uh, snacks and candies and, and every, all the supplies for the Easter egg hunt. We've got so much out there. If, you've, if, you've, if you're still gonna be contributing, make sure to do that today because we're getting it all prepared after the second service today. So if you wanna help with that, you're welcome to stick around and help with that. Uh, people are bringing in candy and, um, and garlic powder. Uh, so somebody left their garlic powder in their bag. You bought all the candy, and then somehow this got in there. So if, you, if you're missing your organic garlic powder, come see us after the service. But we appreciate the effort, and we want to keep away all the vampires. <laughs> all right, so that's the Easter egg hunt. And by the way, Good Friday is, is on Friday as well. So Good Friday is a, is a traditional service that we do at all of our campuses, and we just... We hope to see you here for our Good Friday service. All the information's online. I, I believe the service is at 7 p.m. Does that sound right? I think that's right. And then finally, Easter Sunday is next, next Sunday. And so service, yeah, there you go. Good Friday's at 7 p.m. Service time's next week. Please make a note of this. And it is on the invite card as well. Service times are changed for Easter Sunday because... We need, an, we need to add a service for Easter Sunday, 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., 12 p.m. Again, all of, his, all of it is right here, and so I encourage you to invite some friends. This is, one of those few time, this is one of those few weeks in the year where it's not terribly awkward to be invitational to church. Not, not that that matters for most of you. Some of you are like, I don't care. I'm going to invite anyway, and that's great. But for all the rest of you who have a hard time opening your mouth about it, this is a great time to invite someone to church. And a simple way to do it, again, is just to grab a bunch of those cards and just hand a card to a neighbor, a friend at work, or whatever. Say, hey, we're having Easter stuff this weekend at Alpine Church. Join us if you don't have anywhere to celebrate. And I love, we love it when the Creasters show up. The Creasters are people who come to church on Christmas and Easter. And so reach out to the Creasters. Uh, this is a great, great, don't call them that. They don't need to know it, but they, that's what they are. But we love it. Some of you, in fact, I was just talking to Ivan, our song guy. He said, I used to be a creaster. He was a creaster. He was a guy that came on Christmas a couple times a year. Church was a traditional thing for him, and that's it. And then he met Jesus. And so Easter Sunday is a great Sunday to introduce our friends and our neighbors to Jesus. And uh, so we'll be praying for that. And please be invitational as we do it. So today we're starting a little two-week mini or two two-part mini-series, and we're just calling it The Week That Changed the World, because we're, we're entering into what's called Holy Week, or Passion Week. It's the week that starts, if you look at it, Holy Week starts today, 
and it's spanning Jesus' earthly ministry on the bottom here, that's what those two little circles are about. It's when Jesus came to earth, which we celebrate. We celebrate it on Christmas. And it's, it's the final week of his earthly ministry that's going to lead to his crowning achievement, which if you don't know what that is, come back on Easter. And you're going to learn about it, for those of you who don't know what that is. And so, so Holy Week includes Palm Sunday. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the triumphal entry. And then Good Friday... On, on Friday night, we're going to talk about the road to Golgotha, and then finally, it is going to culminate on Easter Sunday, and that's when we're going to talk about the walk to Emmaus. I don't believe in 20 years we've ever done a sermon on the walk to Emmaus. If you don't know this story, it is the coolest story from Easter after Jesus was resurrected. Two of his disciples were walking along a road to Emmaus, and Jesus appeared to them and had a conversation with them on the seven-mile journey. So if you've never heard about that conversation, they didn't realize they were talking to Jesus till the very end. And there's so much involved in that story that's really cool. So we're going to be talking about that next week. So make sure to come back for that and invite someone to come back for that. But today we're going to, we're going to start by talking about Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at three camps at the triumphal entry. And when we say triumphal entry, what we mean is... That, that, that Sunday before Easter Sunday, the Sunday before Good Friday when Jesus went, up, went to the cross, that Sunday Jesus is actually coming into Jerusalem. He's entering into Jerusalem. We call it the triumphal entry. You'll find it in all four Gospels in your Bibles. And what we're going to talk about today is these three different groups of people and see who we might identify with, with these three groups of people at the triumphal entry. And the first group of people can be described by this statement. Some see Jesus as a threat. And these are the people who reject Jesus no matter what the evidence says. I don't know if you know anybody like that who, who they're just anti-Jesus, they're against Jesus. And maybe you think that's a new thing today. That's not a new thing. That was a thing 2,000 years ago. People who were against Jesus no matter what. And it's not just irreligious people, by the way, how many of you know that it can be religious people that are against Jesus as well? Let's take a look at the story. John chapter 12. And by the way, today we're going to be jumping around between a bunch of different Gospels because this is one of the strengths of the Bible is these four Gospels, they all have the story of the triumphal entry, but they all tell it from slightly different perspectives. And so that's why we're jumping around a little bit today, but it's all the same story. John 12 verses 9 through 11, it says, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, so he's, he's getting ready to come into Jerusalem, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead, which Jesus had just done shortly before this triumphal entry. And by the way, Lazarus lived in Bethany, and Bethany was just outside of Jerusalem. So Jesus is coming into that region where this incredible miracle had just taken place. And it says that the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too. So they didn't want to just kill Jesus, but they decided they wanted to kill Lazarus too. And here's the reason. For it was because of Lazarus that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. So interestingly enough, the people who were against Jesus, the people who were, 
who were zealously against Jesus, had already made up their mind about Jesus, they were actually trying to cover up the evidence. Isn't it interesting that they knew that Jesus had raised a dead man from the dead? If you don't know that story, Lazarus was dead. He was a friend of Jesus. He was in the grave for four days. And then Jesus showed up and called him out of the tomb. And Lazarus now was alive. And he was literally walking proof that Jesus is a miracle worker, that Jesus is God himself. And the religious leaders of the day understood the truth. I want you to hear this. They understood the truth and they wanted to cover it up. This is why they were trying to kill Jesus. This is why they were also trying to kill Lazarus. They said, let's try to destroy the evidence and get rid of it. They'd already decided. They'd already made up their mind that they weren't gonna believe in Jesus no matter what. Have you ever met someone like that? I think it's really interesting in our culture today that the secular humanists, people who have already decided that, that this stuff is a bunch of baloney, they've already decided that they're not gonna believe this, it doesn't really matter if a dead man came back to life, they've already made up their minds about Jesus. Maybe you know someone at work, maybe you have a friend who's like that, maybe you know somebody who is just so hostile toward God that even if they've seen your life, even if they've, even if they've heard of the transformation in your life, even if they've, they've seen prayers answered, they've just, their hearts are hard and they're turned off to the gospel and they, they've made a decision already. Do you know there's a word for that? There's a word for the person who has already made up his or her mind that a certain thing is true. And the word is faith. That's the word for it. When you've just said, I've, already, I've made up my mind that this thing over here is true, that's called faith. And I think it's funny that the, the secular world has faith just like the Christian world has faith. We all have faith. I would, I would propose to you that our faith is not blind, that we have reason to believe in what we believe in, and, and you're gonna be learning about that throughout this whole week and next week as well. But God's word is so clear. God has proven himself over and over in his word. He's proven himself over and over in so many of our lives. So for many of us, we're walking in faith because of what God has shown to us because of how he's proved himself to us over and over. And this is actually true in the disciples' lives too as we're gonna see here in just a second. But so many people, so many of our friends and our family members in the secular world that have, that have already written off Jesus, the truth is, they, they, I would propose that they have more faith than we have. And this is what's going on for the leading priests and the religious leaders of that day is they knew what the truth was, but they'd already made up their minds that they're against Jesus no matter what. Now, by the way, I, maybe a question we could ask is, what do we do? How do we reach people like that? If you do have someone in your life that's like that, I would, I would guess that there probably aren't a lot of people like that in the audience today. Maybe there are. Maybe there are some, there are some who are listening today who, when I say that, you, you said, that actually does sound like me. But my guess is, for most of us, that's, that first camp is not the camp that we're in. So how do you reach someone like that? And I guess my best answer is, you, you don't. You don't reach someone like that. Only God can reach someone like that. Only God can impact the life of someone who is so closed off, they're so close-minded, they they've already decided 
Isn't it interesting how, how secular humanists tout science until science doesn't, doesn't back their narrative? And then all of a sudden they don't worry about science. I'm not going to give you examples, but that might be a great, great thing to talk about on your way home today or, or to talk, parents talk about this with your kids, help them to understand that this is exactly what's happening in our culture today and it's what happened back then. So these leading priests were in that first camp. They wanted to, they wanted to destroy the evidence that would point people to Jesus because they knew that there was something special about Jesus. Here's the second camp. Some see Jesus as Lord, and these disciples obey him even when they don't have the full picture. Here's a cool story on Palm Sunday. I, I love this story, and I want to help you to understand how we can apply this today. It says in Luke 19, as Jesus came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany, remember Bethany is where Lazarus was from, and it was on the Mount of Olives. Bear in mind, keep that in mind, that that's where Jesus is coming into, into the Mount of Olives. He sent two disciples ahead, and he said, go into that village over there, and as you enter it, you're going to see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks, why are you untying that colt, just say, the Lord needs it. Now, I've always, I've always thought this was interesting, this, this passage in Scripture was interesting because many of the Gospels share this example. They share different, different perspectives on this, uh, on this particular story. But I've dug through commentaries for a couple weeks now trying to understand, is there, some, is there something there? Like, it doesn't really tell us who the, who, the per, who the owner of the colt was, who the owner of the donkey was. It just tells us this really weird story. And I thought, why, why would God include this in the Gospel story? What, what, what point does this have in there? And the best that I can come up with is that this is a picture of life for followers of Jesus. We don't have the full picture, and yet God asks us to step out in faith. This is what, what's happening. He, he doesn't give them anything, anything but this. He's just, I want you to go and do this, and it's all going to work out. And the crazy thing is, as you read on in the story, that's exactly what happens. They, they go to this place, they find this donkey, they say, hey, the Lord needs this, and the owner says, that's cool, and they take the donkey. The owner doesn't say, hey, you gotta fill out this, these rental forms, and uh, do you wanna add the extra insurance to this? And He doesn't say, when are you gonna bring it back? So the, the owner actually has faith, just like the disciples have faith, and None of them have the full picture. Now think about this in our lives. How many times in your life have you had to step out in faith when you didn't have the full picture? You don't exactly know what God wants for you in this area or that area, but you have to step out in faith anyway. We talk about discerning the will of God, and whenever we talk about it, I love, I love the proverb that says, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Think about what that means. That means our job is to be righteous, is to be faithful, is to put one foot in front of the other and make the best decisions that we can make, and then the proverb says that then your steps will be ordered by the Lord. Young people, the the best way to discern the will of God in your life, I want you to hear this, the best way to discern the will of God in your life, 
And we've got, Tracy and I have two kids in really important moments in their life, 19 and 21. They're trying to discern the will of God. Do I date this person? Do I date that person? Who do I marry? Where do I go to school? What career should I, should I go into? How many kids, eventually for some of you, how many kids should we have? Should we have any kids, right? So many, so many important decisions, especially for you young people out there, so many important decisions, and it's a really good thing if you're asking the question, how do I discern the will of God? And I want to point you to that proverb again, the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered by the Lord. Your job is to be righteous and take steps, and then God's job is to order your steps. Your job is to just put one foot in front of the other and, and try to be godly and righteous and make good choices as you go, and then God's word promises you that he's gonna order your steps. And that's what's going on in this story. These two disciples didn't fully understand why. They didn't get, sit there and say, hey, could you give me a little more information here? I, I need to understand what's going on. Tell me exactly who this owner is. Tell me, tell me what this donkey looks like. They didn't do any of that. They just went. They just stepped out in faith. And some of you, that's what you need to do. You need to step out in faith. And we talk about the trifecta for Christian living. There are three things that I, that I use to know if I'm in the will of God. Number one is God's word. What does God's word have to say about it? Does God's word say that I should marry a blonde or a brunette? Which one? Which one is it? I don't understand. Now, it's not going to give you that kind of specificity, but God's word's going to tell you some other things about marriage. So young people, make sure that you understand God's word. Make sure that you're in God's word every day. One of the things that I, Tracy and I are so proud of with our two kids is that they have their own relationship with God. Young people, I want to encourage you, do not try to ride the coattails of your parents in terms of a relationship with God. You have your own relationship with God. And so step number one in that is seeking God's word. And, and not just seeking God's word when you're coming to a really important decision in your life. No, it's just seeking God's word every day. Every day, because if you wait until you have to make a really important decision, that's a lot of cramming you have to do to catch up. How are you gonna know where, what it says about that particular thing? And how, how are you gonna know how that's gonna work out in your life? No, just every day, get in God's word. Read God's word, be a, be a young man or a young woman of God's word. And let God's word begin to take root in your life. And what happens is then all the little small, the small decisions of your life, the little tiny decisions of your life, like those everyday decisions, not the huge, big, life-changing ones, but just the small decisions, God's word begins to impact those smaller decisions of your life. And so when those big decisions come, it's not gonna be so confusing. And it's not even gonna be that big. Because it's just gonna be, just gonna be maybe a full step while you've been taking half steps along the way, but now it's just gonna be a full step in the direction of God's will. So number one is get into God's word if you wanna discern his will. Number two is tap into God's spirit. So God's word and God's spirit. The Bible says that the, the spirit of God will lead you into all truth. So what does it mean on a practical level? How do I tap into the spirit of God the Holy Spirit, so that the Holy Spirit gives me leadership in my everyday life. And the simplest answer to that is just prayer. It's just develop a prayer life that goes hand in hand with your, with your word, your study of the word. And by the way, I'm not just talking to young people. It's not like all of us old people, like, 
like life is over and you don't make any decisions anymore. We still have lots of decisions to make. But young, I just have a passion for young people because I see so many young people making poor decisions early in life and then those decisions follow them into their, into their young adulthood and into their adulthood. So number one, God's word. Number two, God's spirit. Develop a prayer life where you're communicating with God. And we talk about the, the P-R-A-Y acronym that prayer isn't just about asking God for stuff. That's the A. It's important, but it's not just the A. It's also praising God. It's also repenting, P-R, repenting, and, and confessing to God when you've, when you've blown it, when you've sort of stepped off of his path, when you're not walking in righteousness in your life. And then the A is asking, and then the Y is where this discerning of the will of God comes in, and that's yielding to God. Yielding to his Holy Spirit. Say, God, I've done a lot of talking now. Now I just want to listen. What, what do you have for me? Lead me, show me, help me to understand. I don't want to give you too much detail, but our, our, daughter recently, our daughter recently thought about dating a guy. And she was asking Tracy and I, she said, hey, what do you guys think about it? And we gave her as much wisdom as we could, but at the end of the day, we said, look, that's a decision that you need to make. And, and, and she prayed about it, and she went on a, a couple of dates with this guy, and at the end of the day, she just... She just had, came to this point in her life where just she has such peace. It was stressful for a few weeks. But she came to this point just recently where she had such peace that this wasn't the guy, that she wasn't going to date this guy. And we were so proud of her, just how she handled it. She, m- more than anything else, as she went to God, and it was her relationship with God that informed her decision. And that was so important because the third thing in the trifecta is other people. And so we were that for Kenzie, but we were only that after she went to God in his word and in prayer. And she had her own relationship with God so that when, when Tracy and I kind of gave her some counsel, it, it, was, it was the third thing. It wasn't the first thing, it was the third thing. The first thing was, was what does God want for me? And she owned that, she owned that decision and we're so, we're so proud of Kenzie for doing that. So young men, she's back on the market. I just want to make sure that you understand that. But she's a godly young woman. And, and so you better, you better seek God if you want to even, even go on one date with our daughter. You better seek the will of God because she's not interested if not. In your life, when you, when you look at this, is this, how, is, this how, is this the pattern of your life that you say, hey, I, I want to I step out in faith in obedience to God, even when I don't have the full picture. Because here's the thing, Jesus had the full picture, even though his disciples didn't. I mean, that's why we can step out in faith is because Jesus has the full picture in our lives as well. This is such a great example of that because it turns out when they showed up, this, everything was laid out exactly how Jesus had said. Now they did, by the way, probably understand some of the picture. And I wanna show you this. Zechariah 9.9, this is in the Old Testament. This is a prophecy in the Old Testament. It says, rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. So Zechariah 9 is a prophecy about Palm Sunday. It's a prophecy about what was going to happen on this day when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem during Holy Week, and not just Zechariah 9, but Zechariah 14, 
verses 3 and 4, it says, The Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he has fought in times past. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. Remember where Jesus was on this day? He was on the Mount of Olives. So this is a, the disciples understood some of these prophecies about Jesus. And I bet that when Jesus said, go to this guy's house and you're going to find a donkey there, I bet at least one of those disciples, if not both of them, called to mind the Zechariah prophecies and probably said, this is it. This is the day. It's finally here. We've been following Jesus for three years, and it's finally here. And look at what it says in Zechariah 14. He's going to fight against those nations. He's going to fight against the Romans. And that leads to our third camp on that day. Some see their own version of Jesus, and they desert him when he fails to meet their expectations. Oh, this is so true for so many American Christians today. They want Jesus on their terms. They don't want the real Jesus. They want the Jesus that suits their needs. So many Christians, quote unquote Christians, in our country today have fallen for this Jesus. And I want to show you how they did that same thing, many of them. In Matthew 21, verses 8 and 9, it said, most of the crowd, this is the day now, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. He've got, he's got the donkey now. He's riding on the donkey like that Zechariah prophecy. He's coming in. It says others cut branches, palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road, hence, hence Palm Sunday, because of those palm branches on the trees. And Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the son of David. This is from Psalm 118, which, by the way, was a psalm that Jews would sing and recite during Passover. And it was this hopeful song that someday God would deliver the nation of Israel. Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. And so they're, they, could you just, can you see this? They're just, they're chanting this hymn of praise, this age-old hymn of praise, and all of the people are thinking of Zechariah 14 and Psalm 118, and they're all thinking, after seeing Jesus do all this incredible stuff for three years of his earthly ministry, they're all thinking, this is finally it. Jesus is coming in, and he is going to kick some butts and take some names, and I can't wait for the Messiah, that's what they saw Jesus as. He is the Messiah. He's the long-awaited one. He's going to be the Savior, the Deliverer of Israel. And that's what, that was the crescendo. That was the hymn. That was the chorus on Palm Sunday. And all the people are worshiping him and, and inviting him into Jerusalem and expecting that he's going to do this great and wonderful thing and restore that glorious throne of David from, from ages past when, the, when Israel was at the height of its glory as a nation and they thought this is what the Messiah has come to do. This is why he's here. And I want to show you one other passage from just five days later. What happened then when Jesus, just at the end of the week, is standing trial Matthew 27, 22. Pilate said, what should I do with Jesus who is called Messiah? And the crowd shouted back. I want to make sure you understand this. It's the same crowd. The crowd shouted back, crucify him. How in the world 
does a crowd go from Sunday saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to five days later on Friday, he is now captured by the Romans that he was supposed to be delivering them from, and all of a sudden these people who were praising him on one day, just a few days later, are saying, crucify him, release Barabbas instead of him, crucify him. Here's how. Because this Jesus in chains didn't fit their picture of the Messiah. And so they bailed on him. The Jesus that they saw on Good Friday, and I hope you'll come back to join us on Friday for this celebration. The Jesus that they saw on Good Friday didn't match their expectations, and so they bailed on Jesus. And here's the question that I have for you. Does that sound like your faith? Because so many Christians in our country, that's what it is. It's an example of this is the prosperity gospel. Those those pastors and, and evangelists who get, on t- get up on TV with their full head of hair, don't trust them, and their shiny white teeth. And they're telling you that, that if you would just give if you would just give me all your money, then God would bless you. Oh, see through that. So many people, that's what they think. They say, I'm gonna follow Jesus as long as he gives me what I want. I wanna follow Jesus as long as he meets my expectations. But as soon as I see Jesus in, in chains, as soon as I see Jesus being subjugated to the authorities that he is supposed to be subjugating, they said, we're gonna look for someone else. And I don't know, maybe some of them thought Barabbas was the Messiah. Maybe that's why they wanted Barabbas to be released. Maybe they thought Barabbas was the revolutionary we wanted all along. Jesus, it turns out, isn't a revolutionary because he's kind of like a lamb. He's, he's silent before his shears, which, by the way, was another prophecy. And so that same crowd rejects Jesus just a few days later. And that's the third camp. And I I just want to encourage you to be that middle camp, to be that second camp, to be those people who are like those disciples who don't fully get the whole picture, but we trust him and we believe in him and we obey him anyway instead of deserting him when he doesn't match our expectations. Because here's where all this is leading to this week. The truth is Jesus is the one who conquered sin and death to establish his rule in our hearts. He actually didn't come to conquer the Romans. For those of you who didn't know that, he came to conquer sin and death and establish his rule in our hearts. And I want to just show a couple more scriptures here to close today. In Luke 19, some of the Pharisees among the crowd on that Palm Sunday said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. They're worshiping you, rebuke them. And I love Jesus' response. He said, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. And I hope, I hope we don't make the stones praise Jesus. I hope we would. I hope, my prayer is that we would. Revelation gives us this really cool picture now that we understand Palm Sunday. And we sang, we sang just a minute ago, we were singing about echoing holy and that's a, that's a song about this passage right here, Revelation 7. John writes, after this I saw a vast crowd too great to count, sounds like Palm Sunday, from every nation and tribe and people and language. That doesn't sound like Palm Sunday because on Palm Sunday it was just the Jews. But in Revelation it's gonna be all of us standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb and they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God 
who sits on the throne and from the lamb because the Messiah came as a lamb. That's why he rode in on a donkey because he was gonna conquer a different way. He wasn't gonna conquer with a sword. He wasn't gonna conquer with an army. He was gonna conquer by giving his own life, which is what Holy Week is all about. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we prepare our hearts for this week and as we consider the life-changing week from 2,000 years ago, the world-changing week from 2,000 years ago, Lord, I pray that we would be in that camp of dedicated disciples, that we would say, God, I want to follow you even if I don't have the full picture. I want to I let you be God. I want to let you be at the center of the throne instead of trying to put myself there. And today I wanna, I wanna give my heart and my life to you. Let me be the kind of person that follows you no matter what. I pray that you would shape our expectations, that we wouldn't come to you with demands, but that we would come to you with a humble, submitted heart. And I pray that, that you would be glorified, not just in our lives because of it, but in the lives of of all of the people in our world, at work, at home, in the neighborhood, Lord Jesus. And I pray, God, that this would be a week, this year, that this would be a week when people would open their eyes to the real Messiah, the Lamb of God. Use us to that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.